I mean, can you? I can't even believe I did this. And I can't believe I'm alive. I said, Tony, can we do the melody on your first pass closer to the melody? Of course, of course, I'd be happy to. Yeah, man, just let me know what you want, right? Just so cool. So the next take was the take we kept. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast for part two of the interview with Steve Huber. And boy, I sure hope you are all wearing your banjo nerd hats because Steve and I, in this episode, we're going to get down into the literal nuts and bolts and talk about what makes a banjo sound the way it does and what Steve's preferences are for all of these banjo pieces and options that we all have available to us, which, as I mentioned in the podcast, is kind of a blessing and also kind of a curse. And those of you who fuss over this stuff really know what I mean. For any of you who may have missed the first half of the interview with Steve Huber, you might want to pause right here and go back to the previous episode to get up to speed. In that one, we focus more on his playing career, his background, and the beginning of Huber banjos. This episode is definitely a bit more technical, but uh, both episodes very entertaining and very useful information for all of us banjo nerds. Before we get into this episode, though, there are a few other things. Of course, these introductions would not be complete without thanking the very special Patreon supporter of today's show. And today we have Eric Rose. Eric grew up pretty close to me in Milford, Michigan, but now he's down in Ohio. And unfortunately, he was just about ready to start jamming when COVID hit and things got shut down. But he's been learning a lot of stuff online and he's ready to get out to go to those jams. And Eric, I sure hope that that is uh, maybe starting to happen for you. We'll uh, knock on all the wood we can find around here. Uh, We're all wanting to get out jamming again. So I hope that's the case for you. Thank you so much for the support. Folks, the continued success of this podcast really does rely a lot on the Patreon supporters. So I really appreciate everybody who has gone to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and become a supporter of the show. And if that uh, has not been you up to this point and you feel like you are able to throw one or a few dollars per month my way to keep this show running, uh, that is greatly, greatly appreciated. So once more, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. You can also contact me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns. And of course, don't forget to subscribe and like and rate on whatever podcast platform you are using to listen to the show. that you're hearing right now is a track called Floatin' the Buffalo, and that is one of two new singles recently released by my really good musical pals Jacob Groupman and Josh Rilko. Josh, you're probably familiar with. You actually hear his mandolin playing every single episode he plays on the intro and outro music. Jacob is an amazing guitar player, and the two of them during quarantine 
thought it would be a cool project to collaborate uh, on some distance recording on these tunes. So I was very honored to get to play banjo on this one. So that's why I'm sharing it with you now. I don't get to play nearly as many gigs or recordings as I would like to. So I got to make a big deal out of it when I actually end up on a recording and especially one that's as cool as this one. So I am adding a link in the show notes to the Bandcamp page for Jacob and Joshua's two songs that they released. I'm on Floatin' the Buffalo along with a fantastic fiddler named Bronwyn Keith Hines. Uh, she plays with Mile 12 with B.B. Bownis, so if you've heard them, you've, you've heard Bronwyn. And then the other track called Dobrowski that they released features Kyle Tuttle on banjo, so some good stuff to listen to there. So once again, that's a track called Floatin' the Buffalo, put out by Jacob Groupman and Josh Rilko, featuring yours truly on banjo. And there's a link in the show notes to go to that page where you can download that and their other single called Dobrowski. But you are not here to just listen to me the whole time. You are here to listen to more of Steve Huber impart his infinite banjo wisdom on you. And, and he sure has a lot of it and he sure shares a lot of it this episode so i really think you'll dig it we go deep into banjo tone and i know that's an area of interest for all of us so here we go part two of the interview with steve huber of huber banjos so you already teased this a little bit but my next question was that after something like the true tone series in which you've come as close as you possibly can yeah. to, to replicating this stuff. Do you feel like there's still more room for your banjos to grow in terms of the faithful accuracy? And you already mentioned that maybe um, there is something with the tone ring. I think so. And I'm, you know, I've been going down this, I don't think I'm, there's anything else to do with the rim at this point, mm -hmm. but I know there is with the ring. I'm, I have, do you feel like you're at liberty to say what when you this no. information is that no. you've no no not not at liberty not yet okay not yet I think maybe sometime but yeah. no not not yet well, I'm excited but to hear about that to the thing is I've taken apart every pre-war banjo that anybody would let me that would come in here uh -huh. okay and the ones that say no I just don't want to take it apart that is great I respect that a lot that's fine I don't care you know mm. I don't ever pressure but. A lot of people let me take them apart, and I've taken apart hundreds. And I take molds of the back of the ring where the gutter is, mm -hmm. and I can show them to you. I've got over, I don't know, 135 molds oh. from, from different flathead rings. Uh -huh. They're pouring them at the same place. They're different, but there's a lot of similarities. I hate to tease. I don't mean to do that, but it's just a fact. I'm, I found some stuff that I think is pretty cool that I want to go down this road, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm doing it now. And seeing if it'll work but maybe i shouldn't tease because i should wait till see if it works but if it doesn't if it doesn't work and i can't i can't get better than what i have then it's just it it's was fun pretty but darn good i'm just yeah. gonna i'm just gonna leave it the way it is it's fine yeah. but you know it's always fun to i mean that's the fun the fun part of huber banjos was getting it going and and saying man i got this rb75 i want to make a banjo that sounds like it okay well mm -hmm. I've never made a banjo that sounds just like that RB75, but I got pretty doggone close. And, right. and that was the carrot 
hanging the whole time was that RB75. And Lord knows I know what it sounds like. I've only played it from 1987 <laughs> to 2005, you know, yeah. recorded most everything I recorded with it. So it's just, it's just, it's fun. I mean, the chase to try to make one or get as close as you can, you know, and, and there's other builders doing the same thing and they know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, the, it's the chase. It's, it's yeah. the, it, it's just fun just to see what you can do. I've, I've heard you say a whole bunch of times that when you make Huber banjos, you don't think they're as good as sounding as pre-war Gibson flatheads, but you think they are probably about as good as the pre-war flatheads did when they were new, which I think is a cool way to frame it for people. Um, did I misquote no, you? No, 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 no. I be- Now, all right. I believed that hmm. maybe until I just found this new stuff with this ring, okay. okay? But there's definitely something to be said for that rim and that banjo being together and that rim being aged. What will these banjos sound like in 80 years from yeah. when I put them together? So, so yeah, I think, I don't know what they're going to sound like, but I'm pretty sure that they're really, really close to when a pre-war was new, you know? Well, I what mean, I'm curious about now is that you, your oldest, the oldest Huber banjos out there are now about the age of those flatheads were well, when like a lot of the golden era bluegrass th- recordings were made, right? Yeah, you know, I never thought of that. You're right. Well, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> well, I, I just did. <laughs> maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. So, uh that's a good point, yeah. you know. But that does remind me of the guys that will bring those banjos in here, and they'll say the early Hubers, you mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. and they'll say, "Hey, play this. Do I need a upgrade? Do I need your new HR thirty stuff?" And boy, I turned down a lot of sales. <laughs> I well, just, that's what I was getting at. Is how I, how is that? I, I say uh, no. I say no. Home. I would not change a thing. Uh-huh. And it's a truth because they they sound really good now. I don't know what they sound. You got to think of the time period you're talking yeah. about. You what, don't know what, what Earl's banjo sounded like in '55. No, right? but then look at the recording things we ha- or the recording devices they had back then, right? So, what did that banjo really, really sound like I when know. you had it in your lap? So, and they had skin heads. So, you know, I don't know, but yeah. but um, but it's fun but, to start seeing that happen, right? It's oh, the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's definitely there's definitely banjos I put together and. A one that I would not pull apart and put the up upgrade in it. Mm-hmm. They, just, they sound really good. I well, wish I'd have kept one. Wouldn't that have been nice? Yeah, I just should have you know maybe kept one for myself. Yeah, a little time capsule <laughs> version. <laughs> Are there any other misconceptions that you often hear regarding? It can be pre-war Gibson tone, or maybe even just banjo construction or, or parts in in general. Like you already mentioned, the the misconception about the bell bronze being a, the sought well, after. Well, here's here's one I, I told you I would touch on, uh, and this would be a good place to do it. The two-piece flange versus a one-piece flange, okay? Well, most people that are into this stuff will say, yes, uh, it has to be a one-piece flange banjo with the original high-profile heavy flathead ring on it if you're going to get blah, blah, blah tone, right? It's, it's That's the, the, the right best. one. That's yeah. the right one. Well, they made very, very, very few. Like, I only know about three. 
And then I'm sure there's more, but you just know about so many. Two-piece flange banjos with heavyweight, high-profile flathead rings on them from the factory, right? Okay. From the factory. Because those two things didn't line up time-wise. Mainly the two-piece flange was the raised head. Okay. Now, the one-piece flange was a raised head, too, but it went to a flathead with a plectrum neck and a, and a five-string neck. That had the flathead ring. Tenors still had raised head rings, whether it's a one-piece or two-piece flange. Okay. All right. Very, very, very few two-piece flange original from the factory flatheads. Okay. Uh-huh. I had one. It was a five-string. It was an original five-string. All right. It was bought by um, uh, Miller was his last name. I talked to his sons, okay? They were twins. Originally bought by Miller, you're talking. In, ni- in 19, he bought it, his, son, his sons told me he bought it in 1933. Uh-huh. He went up to the factory and he got it. I got a picture of him holding the banjo and his sister holding a guitar taken right after they purchased those instruments. And it had to be 33 because that guitar wasn't made until 33. Okay. Uh-huh. Now the banjo had small rods in it. That's so great that they had that. Yeah. Had the small rods in it from 25, which is completely wrong. It wouldn't have, but it did. Okay. Two-piece flange, flathead, heavyweight ring, five-string neck. All right. Uh, had a small sticker in it, the small TB1 sticker, not the, mas- the bigger Master Tone sticker. Right. Very strange banjo, but so well documented. And I talked to his his sons, and this, I said, what do you remember from going up to Gibson when you were young with your dad? Oh. And they said, we, we don't remember a lot. And, and then one of them said, well, I remember this. He said, there was a room in there where they had them wood, those round wood rims. They were hanging from the ceiling like bats. So they were drying. It was plies of the wood rim. Okay. Apparently, Gibson would hang up. From the rafters or the ceiling or whatever was they like would bats oh like ha- hanging like, like okay. bats I yeah get it now. yeah that's what he told me huh. that was just so cool so anyway this banjo is two piece now here's the, where the misconception comes in there's no two piece original flatheads basically to talk of three or four or five maybe okay I yeah. know I know one that's the only one I know of and I used to own it and it was as good absolutely as good as a one piece mm-hmm. period so. There's this little, you know, at least to me, okay, I'm saying the two-piece, the two-piece rim is is heavier and fatter. Yeah, it's the thicker. Okay, one. thicker. Yeah. Um, and your brain wants to say, well, that can't be as good as a thinner one-piece, right? It can't vibrate as good. Well, that's what you want to tell yourself. Right. But in reality, there. It's got it. It's just, it's got it. Absolutely oh, cool. got it. That banjo got it. Yeah. Sure does. I wish I still had it. That was one. Of, that was one I let get away. That I yeah, that's kinda, one of a kind. Kind of wish I wouldn't have. Um, and the fellow McCormick played banjo with with flat after Scruggs uh, Scruggs broke up. Haskell McCormick. Oh, he had one. He was oh. that was the other one I knew of. He had an original two piece flathead. He played with flat on the on the uh, Nashville grass. Whoa! Yeah, he sure did. How cool! And I don't know where it is. Don't know where it. Don't know who have it. Don't, don't know where it is. I'd love to know. But I know. Do you know how to track down the one you sold? Uh, yeah, I know where it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I sold it for too much money. Now I can't get it back. That's <laughs> oh. the, the old trick. You sabotaged know. yourself. Yeah, I sabotaged myself. So the, the 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 great but also frustrating thing about banjos in general is that there's so many adjustable and interchangeable parts. Of course, so this 
allows people to customize stuff, but can also create confusion if, if there's a problem with the tone or something unsatisfying about it. People don't always know what to do. So I'm hoping that you'll indulge me and maybe we could go through the different banjo components and you could maybe say what you think each one contributes to sure. the oh, sound of the banjo. I'm not without an opinion. Okay. That's for sure. That's what I'm, that's you know, what I'm hoping. Just remember, though, it's an opinion. <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's some sayings about opinions. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so let's just start with the, the tone ring. Obviously, that's one of the main components. What, what makes... I don't know, how can you tell when something has a good tone ring or a vice, or on the other hand, if you had a good banjo and put an inferior tone ring on it, what would people notice about that sound? So, first of all, you'd have to compare apples to apples, right? Setup mm -hmm. would have to be the same, all right? You know, the best way to do that <laughs> is to say, let me put this, whatever tone ring we're talking about, there's a lot of good tone rings out mm -hmm. there. Let me put this good tone ring in your banjo, now listen to it. Yeah. All right, so you're asking, well, what are you going to hear? All right, well, that depends on, A, how into banjos the guy that owns the banjo is, right? right? And that's going to go back to the responsiveness. All right, the one thing that a good pre-war has that this is really, this is something that I personally love to feel in a pre-war. I can play anywhere on that neck, and I feel the note come through the back of the resonator into my belly and hit my spine, hmm. okay? I can I feel that I love it. I yeah. love that fact of a pre-war, and you will not get that on hardly any banjo other than a good setup, good pre-war banjo. And you think that's mostly a tone ring thing that, yes. that makes that possible? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's a combination of everything, too. Of course. But, uh, and, and one thing that really helps that is stop screwing around with your banjo. <laughs> it's amazing. You want good tone and you want that banjo to do what it can do? Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Why do you think they call it setup? The thing sets up in the corner and you just let it set there. Don't touch it. That's, <laughs> that's why they call it setup. So that's but, your secret. When people drop it off to you, you just, you just, I just set it, put there. it over there and I don't do a give dang, it back to them in a few yeah, days. <laughs> I don't do a dang thing to it. So come back and get it in two years. But seriously, that is a huge factor. Uh -huh. Because, and it all has to do, again, in my opinion, is with how your head settles in on your banjo. Here we got a $20, $30 piece of plastic. We put that piece, that $30 piece of plastic on a $300 banjo or $125,000 RB75. Same yeah, piece same of plastic, thing. right? Crazy. But over time, the head settles on top of the bearing surface of the tone ring, and it just keeps forming to that and settling on top of, of, of right here. And the best thing you can do for your banjo is when your head loosens up and you have a place where you like it, certainly tighten it up. But taking your banjo apart every two years, right, because you want to clean it or you want to put a new head on it every two years, it's actually the worst thing you can do. If you really want to get to that place where the banjo is giving you 100% of what it has, it can actually take about three years with a new head, or two to three years, let's say. It's just, yeah. It just does. And the longer it goes, obviously, the smaller the increment of it getting better, right? And yeah. it takes longer. But 
it's true. It it's really there. And you look at these, I mean, the best old flatheads going today that you just go out and you play this guy's play that guy, whatever. It's going to be the ones where that head's been on there probably about eight years, the old ten worn years. Out heads. Just yeah. Yeah, and of course, yeah, they'll be worn out if they play it a lot. But even if they don't play it a lot, the head may not be wore out as far as, you know, where your fingers rubbed it. But the head's been on there it's, that it's long. Been an, an it's been an assembly. For, it's been assembly for that long. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's amazing. Incredible. It really is. What about the rim? What does the rim contribute? Um, rims, they definitely make a difference. I'm a fan of red maple rims. Mm-hmm. Okay, not really, really hard sugar maple rims. And uh, the the pre-wars were red maple, well, at least the ones that I had, we looked at. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they all were, okay, you can't say yeah. that anything about Gibson, but, so it's not a really, really hard rim, but you're not, you know, you're, you're not going to hear, you're going to hear more of a difference in your banjo from the tone ring than you are if you swapped out rims, but you, but you can hear it, you know, okay. and uh, again, it all depends just how into the intricacies of your banjo are you? How long have you been playing? I can't tell you. Which is which? A thousand dollar bottle of wine or a two thousand dollar bottle of wine? And I had my eyes closed and I tasted them. I couldn't tell you which is which. Okay, mm-hmm. and I, because that's not my thing. And it's the same with banjos. I mean, you got to kind of be into it because there's a there's a point where things get really hard. If you're not if you've not been into it for years and years and years, you're not going to hear these little tiny things that can happen. You can move the coordinator rod nut on a pre-war banjo, tighten it up a little bit, loosen it up a little bit, and you can play the banjo and you can hear, maybe feel, but you kind of hear, you can, it's actually there. Yeah. But it's so subtle, so subtle. So, but if you're into it and you've been doing this stuff for how long and you're, and you're paying attention, maybe it's not how long you've been doing it, but how much have you been paying attention? Right. You know, it's going to take some people a lot longer than others and other people not long at all. To hear it, but it, it's there. But you, but you are into it. So, what what types of things do you hear with a a new rim? Is it the like a, a resonance or the decay or a, no? I it's not. As I know old, this is tough. That's why I'm tough. coming to you. It's not as old sounding. Can right. I get away with that one? <laughs> not not as old sounding. <laughs> that's my that's my default. Well, okay. it's not as old sounding. So maybe like a warmth you, to the tone. The decay. The decay is a good. I'm glad you said that because there okay. is the, a lot of the decays with the tone ring, but you can definitely play with that with the rim. Okay. If your rim's too hard, you're not going to have the decay. I don't. I don't. Not re- going to have the decay as in um, it, it, less sustain. Less. It? It's going to have more sustain the harder the rim. Okay. Absolutely. Gotcha. So when the I remember when the drown. I used to call it the drowned wood. You know the wood that came from the lakes yeah, up there. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, right? the block rims. Yeah. Well, even if it wasn't. Well, they weren't all block, were they? Didn't they make some where they bent all of Tony's three were, I think all yeah, of Tony's, Tony's were, were, but I think there were some that they actually probably, yeah. bent. And I was excited. Uh-huh. Now, I also said, okay, well, Gibson's weren't drowned, but maybe this is something. And and to me, it wasn't. It was just, to me, it was just too hard. It was just too hard of a wood. The grains were really, really close. It was old wood. It was old growth. The grains were tight. And I don't know what the under the water did to it, but I remember thinking, okay, I'm not going to use them. Okay, I just, I just, yeah. It, it's not that they, it, it's not that it's not good or it can't make a good banjo. Again, we get into what do you like 
and your banjo. Just wasn't so, your thing. So, so I have, you know, I'm basing everything off my RB75. That's what I lived with forever. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going after. Doesn't, it's not what you need to go after. It's not what you should go after. Right. Get, do what you want. Have a sound that you want. It's just, my banjos and Stelling banjos are different for sure. Absolutely. But I will tell you right now that those Stelling banjos are works of art. Mm-hmm. The craftsmanship, what Jeff does, amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And it's not going to sound, he's not going after a pre-war Gibson sound. Right. His banjos are really good. And and his whole, the way it fits together, it's a whole different thing than what I'm doing. And, but boy, I just, I just respect the heck out of what he's done right. for over the years. They're, they're, they're beautiful. They play great. They got a different sound. It's a great sound, but it's. You know, it's why there's 31 flavors the of Baskin Robbins yeah. ice cream, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's so yeah. What about the resonator? What what tonal contribution um, is that? Yeah, <laughs> and then I guess part B of that is maybe a, the top tension resonators. What what differences do you detect well, when the, you a, switch with that? Yeah, top tensions top tensions are flat in the back, so they're going to project in a whole different way, um, and it's cool because they still sound good. They're different. Right, yeah. but different. So what? It's different, but they they still. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't feel. Can't say on all of them, but most of them, I, I don't feel when I'm in the field come through the back of the resonator on a top tension. And why would I? I guess it's so. It's a really so thick, thick piece of yeah. wood, you know, and it's it's not, uh, it's not plies. I mean, it's just just a piece of wood. But so yeah, different animal. But a fun thing that that we used to do a lot is. You know, we'd have five, six pre-wars flatheads in the room, and we just take the thumb screws out of our banjos, and we play them without the thumb screws, and we just keep swapping around swapping resonators. Around. It's amazing. It's amazing how different every resonator will sound. Of an old resonator will sound different on yeah. your banjo. Now, some will say very, very close, but it, it's amazing what that what that can do. So, knowing that, okay, what do you do when you build a banjo? When you start a new banjo company, what are you going to do for your resonator? Well, it's like everything else on my banjos. I'm not an innovator. I just went to an old pre-war. I went to my favorite pre-war, right, my RB75, and measured the resonator, and that's what we make. Yeah. And it's that simple, right? So you're going to get what you – but I haven't fooled around and said, all right, let's make the depth of my resonator an eighth-inch shy, and let's open up instead of a six-degree angle from the top going down the side, let's change that to a six-and-a-half and let's see yeah. what that okay i haven't i haven't gone that i'm not that nuts yet i haven't i haven't gone that <laughs> maybe far. something for dr ray to yeah. look into yeah maybe <laughs> or somebody else maybe my kid i don't know right but, so i just you know i copied i copied what was but i mean the pre-war resonators certainly aren't all the same but mm-hmm. i just you know i got to come up with i got to come up with a blueprint for my dad right he's making my resonators and here make this and that's it Hey folks, it's time for me to introduce you to a brand new Picky Fingers sponsor, and that's GHS Strings. Now, GHS might be a new sponsor, but uh, they're definitely not new to the string business. They've been making some of the best banjo strings on the market since 1964. They use their proprietary lock twist on the plain steel strings for incredible stability, extra large loops for easy installations on any tailpiece, and a wide range of gauged sets for every player. 
My personal favorite that I've been using for years is the PF145s, but they do have a lot of options for uh, whatever your preference is. And they're very durable, have a long lifespan, and probably my favorite part is that these things are made right down the street from me in Battle Creek, Michigan. So not only do I think they are the best strings out there, but I can feel good about supporting a local company. And I'm not the only one who thinks very highly of their strings. GHS strings are also used by J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, Todd Taylor, Bela Fleck, and a lot more. So go check out what they have to offer at their website, ghsstrings.com. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, you'll learn bluegrass, old time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of banjo instruction, with courses including Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward-style banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Each course includes high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play with. So what I need you to do is join any of Peghead Nation's video courses, and you're going to get your first month's free uh, just by being a Picky Fingers listener. Go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's all one word, all lowercase. And once again, that gets you your first month free at PegheadNation.com. The Picky Fingers podcast is also sponsored by Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted instruments. We all know how cool it is to be able to support the locally owned mom and pop businesses rather than going to the big box stores. Well, with Elderly Instruments, you're getting a place that's been family owned since 1972, located in Lansing, Michigan, but they do ship worldwide. However, shopping at Elderly Instruments doesn't mean a compromise in quality. They have a vast selection of acoustic and electric guitars, banjos, ukuleles, mandolins, and all the accessories and books you might need. They have a world-renowned repair shop that sets up all the instruments, and perhaps most importantly, a down-to-earth knowledgeable sales staff that is there to help you with anything you need from advice on the high dollar vintage instrument that you're looking for right down to what picks you should buy they're happy to help and they're just a phone call or an internet search away go to elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880 and tell them picky fingers sent you how much do the necks affect the tone and then also do you think radiusing radiusing the the necks have any effect beyond that um i don't think i don't think radiusing the neck has any effect on tone okay uh i may not be the one to ask i make radius necks mm-hmm. my rb75 had a radius neck i like radius necks i don't i probably make 30 percent of what i make is a radius neck mm-hmm. okay uh you can get that as an option um i can't say that i've associated it with different tone okay now the real question is the neck. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That it makes a huge difference. And I've said this for a long time, decades. If you can afford a pre-war flathead banjo, okay, 
and most of them are plectrums. And in the later years, there were tenors in the 40s. If you can afford a, plectrum, a, a flathead banjo, you should be able to afford over a, a two or three or four year period having four necks made for it. Okay? And hopefully you can keep all four. And at some point, you can try all four necks on your banjo, and one of them will be better than the other three. Interesting. And that's not saying you might make four more, and one of those might be better than the one that's better than the other three the first time. Right. Necks make a huge, huge difference in tone yeah. of a banjo. And like I said, I think I said earlier, on a, on a pre-war flathead pot, if it ain't cutting it, just change the neck, try something else. Yeah. Okay. Then, uh, then you have wood. Okay. I always get what wood should I use? What wood should I? They call me. They want to order a banjo. Well, what should I do? I said I don't. I can't help you there, because a banjo is great to me. The banjo is great. I don't care what neck wood it has. Hmm. I do not care. I don't have a favorite. I never have. All right. I love the looks of curly maple. Like a curly maple speed neck, I love that look, but I don't have a favorite neck. I'm gonna I'm gonna play a banjo, and I get to put if I ha if I have a favorite banjo, I'll put neck after neck after neck on it because I can. I'm lucky. All right, now it's gonna be over time, but I'm gonna find a neck, and I'm gonna if if it's a mahogany resonator banjo, I probably won't put a curly maple neck on it. Just, I have, but I probably won't. So I'll try a mahogany. I might yeah. try a straight maple, okay? I've even made walnut necks and, and a light, lighter walnut neck and stained it a little bit on the mahogany side. Match the mahogany. It's not going to match perfect, but it, look. And I've, so I'm going to play the neck that sounds the best in that banjo. And a lot of people, you know, that they're, they're, oh, you've got to have a mahogany neck. You don't have a banjo unless you have a mahogany neck or... Well, I'm never playing mahogany. I just play curly maple. That's okay. I mean, that's that's fine, you know, because that's what you need, and that's what you think, and I'm not going to tell you any different. But it at, sounds at like all. you might think it might be a little short-sighted or misguided. It might be. Yeah. But on the other hand, now we're getting into psychology of banjo players. <laughs> now, we could do another hour on that. Yeah, that's a dangerous okay. thing. Okay. So, if, I mean, if, you thinking, if you're thinking you liking curly maple, you're going to think it sounds better. Maybe it don't sound better, but you think it does because yeah. it's what you want to see. So, I mean, there's a lot, lot going on here. And if you think it does, it does, right? Exactly. Yep. I don't, yeah, I, I just don't have a, I just don't have a favorite. I have, I like, I like banjos and if it's doing it, if it's yeah. doing it and I don't care what neck is on it. But I'm glad you you're know. at least saying that the necks make a huge difference. A I've always thought that's an huge, underrated huge. consideration for people. See, it's the diving board, okay? It's uh -huh. hooked, it's hooked to your it's hooked to your pot. The neck is a diving board. And then when you play the string, the vibration's up to the nut, back down, the neck's moving like a diving board. And how that neck vibrates and what it's made of and and uh, all that is going to give that banjo a color and a flavor and even open it up or close it down. Mm -hmm. It can do that, depending. But... I don't know of any way of, I didn't give it much thought. Maybe there is, I'm not saying there's not, but I can look at a piece of wood 
a billet and know if I want to use it for a neck or not, hmm. but I can't tell you how it's going to sound. Okay. I mean, there's no, I can't say, oh, now that's going to be an incredible. I've had necks, I've had necks on on pre-war pots around here, conversion three stuff like that. Yeah, that sounds okay on that one. Well, let's try this one. Oh man, that one's great. All right. So you take the one that you took off and you lay it over here on the table. I mean, yeah. right now there's three of them or four of them sitting yeah. on that table back there. So, and and you say, yeah, well that didn't. Okay, so somebody wants to put that neck on their banjo. They took one off and put the neck. I just took off the other banjo, and it sounds like a million bucks. Right. All right. So now you just sit here and you say, I can't, <laughs> I can't figure this out. And I'm not gonna try anymore. All right. So one neck on one banjo sounds good. It doesn't on the, you know, on the next. It's doing something different. Yeah. All right. I don't. That's just the endless thing, right? I'm getting too old to try to figure all this out, and I just. <laughs> Okay, we, we only have a little longer to go then. <laughs> How about tailpieces? Well, my opinion, I'm pretty opinionated on tailpieces. I like, and I try. I, I hope it's not. I'm not. It's. I'm not using the psychology stuff here on myself. I like the pressers and the clamshells. Mm -hmm. I like the pressers better than the clamshells, but not all the time. So, if I got a Granada. Or whatever it should have a clamshell on it right from the factory that's what they came with but if it's mine that i'm playing i'm going to put a presto on it and we'll see what that does i'm going to put another presto on it see what that does pre-war now pre-war prestos okay then i'm going to put another pre-war presto on it and see what that does okay you want to know why you want to get into that you want to get into that minutia that's why i asked okay here's steve's pre-war presto <laughs> <laughs> opinion primer. <laughs> primer so i'll try to make this fast so the presto has a 90 degree bend right mm -hmm. on the back coming over so that 90 degree bend is going to have a quality of the bend i'm gonna to try to explain this i'm gonna say from one to ten from one to ten okay a let's say a 10 is good a 10 would be a brand new presto pre-war presto out of the box like you found some new old stock. It's never been used. Okay. So at the bend radius in the back, that's a 10. That's perfect. It's perfect. Okay? It's a perfect 90 degree. The, the, the strings, the pressure of the strings can't pull your tailpiece up because it has a strong radius at the back. Okay? What's a number one? A number one is the Prestos. As when you look at that radius back here, you can see it's already splitting. It's already, you can see it cracking on both ends. It's just it, a matter as, of time before it yeah. lets go. And, and well, actually, a number one should be a pre-war Presto that's in my junk drawer over there where they're all two pieces. They've already broke. Okay. All right. It gave out. That would be a, a, uh, that would be a one. It uh -huh. gave out. It's done. It broke. It cracked. All right. So now you have from one, which you can't use. So let's say you have from two to 10. Mm -hmm. So anywhere in between, you have Prestos that have, you're basically got a diving board coming off, you know, from the back, from the radius. So how strong is that bend anymore? How used is your used, is your old Presto? Mm -hmm. And you'll see ones where the front's coming way up. When the string pressure gets on, the front's coming way up and it's not 90 degrees anymore. So all that contributes in the sound of the banjo, uh -huh. actually. So if I got something I'm playing, it's my banjo, I'm digging in my drawer, and I'm trying three, four, five, six Prestos on it, 
And over time, like I'll put one Presto on it for a couple of days, three days, and just play it, or play it around, listen to it, take it off, put another one on. It's because of that. It's because of the strength of the bend on that. Interesting. Thing. Yeah. It's it's uh so that's my story. I'm a, that's my story. I'm gonna stick to it. Okay. okay. That's that's it. It makes sense to me, and and it's the only thing I can think of because changing Prestos, you'll get a different sound on every one. How acceptable are the new Prestos, either the Presto brand or a lot of people, um, maybe not a lot, but there are some makers making, you know, new school Prestos, the Prukas. The Pruka, the Pruka, um, Pruka's the best, uh-huh. period. That's the best Presto you can get, in my opinion. Other, there's other Prestos, and and they'll give up quicker. I'm not going to name names. It's just they're, you know, they're, they're out there. But uh, Pruka makes a really good, a really good Presto. They're different than pre-wars. Mm-hmm. There, it's a different sound, and don't know if it's the. I don't think it's the age of the metal. Thickness will have something to do with it for sure. But there, but there's a difference. But a, I mean, I used the I used the Pruka Prestos on my stuff, and I love them. And they they do a it's it's a real good job, real good, uh, real good Presto. You already said a little bit about the the banjo head and how important it is to let that settle in, but. Mm-hmm. The, the head itself, maybe the differences between, you know, you have your own branded Huber heads that mm-hmm. that conform a little bit closer, I guess, to, to the pre-war well, specs. that was, um, when I came, when I did the Huber head, we had them put another half thousands to a thousandths of frosting on the head. Right. And that was because at that time, they were way too, th- way not enough frosting on their head. It wasn't. It just was too thin. Hardly there. Yeah. yeah. The the mylar was the same, but it, the frosting was hardly there. So I said, "You got to put this on." Um, so they still do that for me, but I also think they're doing it anyway. I'm I'm not sure, but I've seen some heads that aren't my my own seen heads. A little better, and they and they and they're better at that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they probably cool. stole from me. Them son of a guns. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> so uh, but but that, that's what I did. That just to make them because uh, you don't want too much. At all, you know, you want about you want about eight to nine thousandths is what the thickness of your head. Okay, in my opinion, to get that good old sound, a clear head, no, not to me. Right, Just, it doesn't. You know, five star heads were very heavy. Okay, gave you a completely different sound. Well, lucky for me, I saved the five star heads that I took off of banjos over the years, and now. I've sold them all. Yeah, people people, people really want them. look for them. Yeah, they look for right. them. And I thought, holy cow, I did something right. I saved these heads that I almost threw them out and I didn't. And if uh, only you had your Mickey Mantle rookie <laughs> cards, right? <laughs> right. So, yeah. It yeah. sounds like you think G sharp is is at least a good starting point to to try to dial those in. Yeah. Uh, here's a story that I'll never forget. One of the early times I saw JD. Um, I think it was the first time, actually. And his banjo was as big as a house. It was the old saying. It was a number, a number, a firecracker going off in a number two wash tub, right? It was just <laughs> huge and 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 big, right? Yeah. And deep. And I went to play it, and I played it, and I went, "What?" It was keen. Now this is back before I. This is like '83, four. I thought playing the banjo. Wow, this is this. I wouldn't have thought the banjo sounded like this when I played it versus what it sounded like on stage. 
And and what did it sound like to you in person? In person, it sounded a little too thin, a little too keen, a little too sharp. That was the first thing I thought. I remember that. Okay. And that was in between sets, right? He mm-hmm. didn't. He took the banjo and out and did set number two, and it sounded like a million bucks. And it's a it's the G sharp is really, uh, in my opinion, again, it's just a great stage setup. You're yeah. you're you're fighting the bass. You're fighting the guitar, right? You can hear it, it's the banjo just sounds that way when it's on stage with a band, and I I'm just a firm believer in it. I mean, Sonny showed it to me in '78 how to hear the note. Mm-hmm. He was he was doing it about that. Crow did it without even knowing it, uh-huh. right? He was at G sharp. He was around G sharp, very close. Um, he you know he sold his banjos, his uh, twenty Crow hole, did? yeah, his twenty hole and his no hole, and the fellow that bought them picked them up from his house, drove straight here, so that was the last that was you know, and I said, here, he says, where's the heads, right? G sharp, right? <laughs> <laughs> they they just were right, yeah. they were. So uh, it's not where you have to have your head. It's, it may seem keen to you, and if it does, back her down. No problem. Make, yeah. it, make it sound good to you, whatever it is. It's just, it's just a, a, a G sharp, uh, even an A, uh, can really, really work on stage through the mics, the whole bit. You, you know, you're standing, cut it. you're standing back how far, and you're playing back up, and, you know, Crow's, Crow's five foot from the mic, and he's playing back him. It sounds like he's right beside you. Yeah. And it's just amazing. Yeah, but that's, cool. that's Crow, right? <laughs> Let, let's switch and talk about your personal gear. Obviously, you have quite a few banjos, but when, you're, when you go out to perform, which one are you grabbing these days? So I don't have quite a few anymore. It's just kind of been keeping the business going, so the collection's dwindled down to one. <laughs> well, I guess that <laughs> which gives is okay. a better answer than yeah, the one yeah. that you've chosen yeah. to keep. Yeah, so the one, the one I have right now is an RB75, mm-hmm. uh, 1939 RB75, EG4122. You have to know your numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so that's that's what I play when I do this do a gig out. Yeah. Uh, and I know I, I've been getting it ever since I started the company. Why aren't you playing your Huber banjo? Well, I did for a long time with Kenny and Amanda. I played both, but I, I had a walnut uh, Roanoke model I played. Just I really just played that with them. And here's what I say, and this is just how I feel. I feel like I'm two people. So I build banjos for my day job, and I like to perform and play banjo and be a musician. And when I'm that guy, I'm playing my... My RB seventy five, yeah, because that's what I want to feel under my fingers. That's what I want to hear, and I'm only playing for one reason, and it ain't to get rich. It's to have fun on stage with the guys I'm playing with and put on a show and just have fun. Yeah, and I've had an RB seventy five in my hands since 1986, and it's just what I'm going to play. And I hope I don't offend you by not playing a new Huber. But that's just that's just me when there's, I'm playing. If music. There's anyone who would get offended. I guess it would, should be you. <laughs> it so should be if, me. <laughs> if you're cool with it. <laughs> so that's 
you know, it's just how it is. And yeah. and I'm just going to play that banjo. Uh-huh. I mean, it's I'm not. I love what I build. I build. I want to build as close to what I'm playing. And right. I and I am. I'm building as close to. I, and and I love my banjos. And I could play them on stage any day. I could grab a new one out of the case, eh, a week old, so the head can settle in a little bit and let her rip and have no problem with it. But I'm not lying to you and telling you, yeah, my new banjo sounds just like my RB75. It doesn't. My RB75 yeah. is an RB75. You know, it's a mahogany neck. It's just, it, I just I just love it. Cool. So that's what I gig with. What about any other kit? Do you have a, a preferred microphone for either stage or recording that you really like how it captures that tone? Uh, no, I don't really. Surprisingly, we just did a show on the, last, the second at the Station Inn uh, with a little band that I got put together, Steve Huber and the Flatheads that we're trying to do every month at yeah, the sta- Station yeah. Inn. Just got some guys that are really, really cool guys and, and good pickers, so it's just for fun. So we use a 57, mm-hmm. you know? Now we did use a KM32, does that sound right? I think for K- the center mic. KSM32. K- KSM32, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're ganging around it. We're not close to it. It's just picking up everything, yeah. right? And so when I watched the video back, uh, banjo really sounded good over it. Uh-huh. You know, when I when I, I wouldn't go up to it, I'd just kind of stay in the back where I was singing baritone and then just inch forward maybe six inches and just take a break. Over, Move it up a little bit. With, yeah. with, that, with that mic still about two feet away. Holy cow, it sounded good. Yeah. So I, I really like that. That's cool. But yeah, 50, yeah, I mean, 57 is, I mean, there's so many good mics. You know, I use a, uh, golly, what's the name? Pal- Paluso? Paluso. That's it. That's it. That's it. Just left me. So uh, Sammy Sheeler turned me on to those because he used to use them to record. And years and years and years ago, he got me hooked up with uh, one of those. So I use the tube Paluso when I make my videos Okay. For, for the website. Yeah. And it's really cool because you can get an interface now. The, the Paluso goes to the to the um, power supply, goes, then I have this other uh, other box. I don't even remember what it's called. <laughs> I'm going into it. It's, it's the game and the interface. And yeah, interface. Yeah. So I'm going from that. Now you can go from that, which is a, uh, what's a connect, how many pin connector is that? Um, sure. Well, the, the XLR, you mean? XLR, right. Yeah, the three, yeah. the three pin. So you go from XLR right to your iPhone now. Oh, for crying out loud. Yes, it's wonderful. Yeah. So it's just from the, so it's basically from that really good microphone through a couple of things right into the iPhone record and, and it sounds your, like a million bucks do your media stuff yeah, yeah it's great. great it's a it's really easy to do so okay we're almost done but the last the last segment will be oh man uh facebook questions because i i announced to listeners oh. that you know who i'm getting together with and you really know, they'll throw some things yeah. out there do you know that band called the hen house prowlers you know those guys they're out of chicago i've heard i don't know them i've heard the name Great band, but yeah. a, a, a veteran of the podcast, their banjo player, Ben Wright, says he wants me to tell you that Pull-In Time is easily, easily, not even, cl- one of the best instrumental banjo albums ever, and the, oh, melodies, the melodies still melt his face 20 years later. <laughs> so, Wow, thank you. Do you got a side deal with like some wow. plastic surgeons to no. fix melted faces but from I'm gonna, that album? I'm going to use that, melt, my, melt your face. That's great. Well, he'll give you a good testimonial on that. Thank you so much for that. And so yeah. that wasn't exactly a question, but oh. I guess that, that would lead me to believe, is that probably the best, if somebody, if the listeners out there want to really check out your playing, is that the best place to go for them to do it? Is that oh. one time album? 
Let's see. Um, I already recommended that Bob Paisley album. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know. I have the Pull in Time album. I don't mm. have it on my website because I only have so many copies, but I'm going to get some more. And we're and I'm coming out with a tab book. Finally, after all these years. Breaking news. It's like, uh, I don't know, what is it? Like 40, 50 something page tab book this guy's Russell's doing for me on every break of Pull in Time. But yeah, there's a tab book coming. Uh, we're work, we're working on it. it's pretty it's getting close. Oh, that's but so it's, great! But it's all these years later, right? It's kind of yeah. weird. So I'm gonna get the I'm gonna get pulling time redone. So we had. Um, I'm glad you're gonna restock too because yeah yeah I had and, to, it, yeah. and I'll have it up on the I'll have it on the website. Yeah. But that was I mean, look Tony Rice is on that dang thing. Yeah. I mean how I, I look I think back and I said how did I get Tony Rice? Well I called him. <laughs> and I said, hey, Tony, this is Steve Huber. Who? <laughs> right? <laughs> you want to play? And, and yeah, so he brought Goodrow and him, and they came down and did uh-huh. four or five of the cuts. And and that's just my favorite story. We're doing the song Pulling Time, and Tony's playing this these breaks like you can't believe, but they're not melody. They're not melody. Right. And I looked at the Kevin, and I said, Kevin... Should I say something? He says, are you happy with what he's playing? I said, of course, but Melody. So I went out and I said, Tony, I mean, can you? I can't even believe I did this. I can't believe I'm alive. I said, Tony, can we do the Melody on your, on your first pass closer to the Melody? Of course, of course, I'd be happy to. Yeah, man, just let me know what you want, right? <laughs> just so cool. So the next take was the take we kept. The very next one, he he slayed it. He just go listen to it. melody but it's just tony rice oh gosh it's just, i get goosebumps thinking With about direction and production by by steve huber yeah, well no, no hell yeah <laughs> direction so that yeah that took some uh Cajones. it did <laughs> that's great there was another question this kind of goes back to our our tonal talk but uh a few people wanted to know what you thought about scale length differences, such as like the 26 and three eighths versus 26 and a quarter. Do you think that makes a difference in the final product or the, or the sound or which do you prefer? And of course there's different scale lengths other than that. People are doing shorter scale. So, um, I don't really have a preference because what it's going to do, it's going to move your bridge to, to the spot on your, 
on your head, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, you can move your bridge having the same tail length, uh, same scale length neck, but have uh, three-eighths of an inch past your last fret versus having an eighth of an inch past your last fret. Yeah. You're going to move your bridge even. So, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I think you want a banjo that's in tune, <laughs> More than worrying about the scale length. Does that Seriously. exist? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, it doesn't. But I'm talking about in tune as far as when you're setting your bridge. The tonation. Because yeah. there's a lot, a lot of banjos that I won't mention the brand name, and there's thousands of them who you cannot get in tune hmm. because the, where the frets are placed was not correct. So... You can play, you can chime your first string at the 12th fret, okay? And that should be right. And when you go up here to your 22nd fret, it's right there, all right? Here's your G, G. Perfect. Yeah. You'll never get it. You'll never get it with these banjos. It's not the scale length. It's the calculations they used to where to put the frets in the neck was off. So I even know people that have recorded with these and they play to break up the neck up here. And then when they played their backup and stuff up the neck, Gets a little they, goofy. Tur- no, they turned the tape off, they moved the bridge and then they played that. Oh, really? In a recording session. Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. So no, that to answer your question, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not big on, you know, the pre-war scale length works great, right? My scale length is a little different. Than the pre-war scale length, it's probably the only thing I'm doing that's not pre-war, and works great. You're, I mean, you're in tune like that the whole time. Uh, so, yeah, I don't have a not that's a big that. stickler on scale, on scale length. And then I guess the the mother of all questions, and for how how much you've talked about your own seventy-five, maybe we already know the answer. But is there one or a couple banjos you've come across that you just consider bar none the best you've ever played, and which ones are they? Yes, there are. There's one called the Wade Manor, and there's a whole story on the Wade Manor. And in a nutshell, I've played that one many times. Actually. Yeah, the yeah. Wade. The Wade was the parts were gone, and I found all original parts, including tone ring, put it back together. Okay, and uh, went through a couple of different hands. Now that banjo, even though the parts were put on it after the fact, right? It wasn't the original tone ring that came on it because that's gone. But the rim is original, neck's original, resonator's original. Mm-hmm. And even like that, it's, uh, it's, what a banjo. What a banjo. That's oh, that's man. one of the best. Um, so I said I had played that, but it was only before you had it. It was, it was, it was before. before it got sold to Pete. Um, oh, you you played it at Elderly. Yeah, we yeah, had yeah, it for yeah. a while. That's yeah, where, so, you did. Right. Um, and still was a good banjo. And it, you know, it was okay. It had that yeah. fiber skin on it. Yeah. Um, which well, it's going to be hard to tell. But, yeah. But what a, I'm, I'm telling you, it's the neck on that thing. That is the by far, bar none, the prettiest piece of curling maple. It is great. In existence is on the Wade Maynard neck, period. I've never seen. I think you're right. It's it's unbelievable. It's worth owning that banjo just to have the yeah, neck. Yeah. What a great banjo. Uh, Snuffy Jenkins RB4, incredible banjo. Uh, that one sticks out. But I have a... But there's a fellow that goes to Banjothon. You know about Banjothon. Yeah. Okay. There's a fellow that brings a, ple- it's a Plectrum three. Okay. But he has a, I think he has a Frank neck on it. Uh-huh. Or is it a five string? Oh, I can't remember. Isn't that horrible? 
I remember the serial number, but <laughs> I remember the serial number. I'm not, I'm not so sure. Anyway, that one, I'm not going to mention his name because he's yeah. got people bugging him. But that banjo is just, it's just a three. It's just a, just a regular three. And I don't know what's going on with it, but it, yeah, it's in, it sticks in my mind. And it's been refinished. Huh. The whole thing's been refinished. I mean, so what? Didn't hurt it a bit. The thing is incredible. So, but here's, here's what I've always said about pre war banjos there's a line that you cross. And once you cross that line, there's not one better than another. There's one better than another in for you, okay? Yeah. And if I had 12 of them on the wall and you pick your favorite and they're all, let's just say they're all five-string flatheads and they're all whatever, Granadas, fours, whatever, you pick your favorite, I'm going to pick a different one. Mm -hmm. And the next guy in here is probably going to pick a different one. Right. So they're all, they all have these qualities that they have, but they're all a little different, yeah. everyone. And especially when you start messing with bridges. But if we could set them up with the, ex and we can't, but let's say we could, exact same head tension, exact same bridge, exact same truss rod, bow in the neck, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. If we could set them all up exactly the same, you, it, I might have a favorite, but tomorrow morning I might have another one. I might come in here and hang out and up and say, no, I like this one. And for sure... I'm going to tell you how banjo players are. If you have it for over a year, you're not going to want it anymore. You're going to want another one. <laughs> Guilty. Guilty. <Right? laughs> that's how it goes. Well, that's, that's a good way to end, Steve. You've been incredibly generous with your time. And Ooh. I guess the, the last thing I'll just say is how do people find out about you and your banjos and hopefully even more of your performing now that you have the flatheads uh, uh, playing some gigs? So um, uberbanjos.com is the website. Uh, I have a Facebook, a Uber Banjo Company Facebook page, um, and I'll, uh, I'm trying to get a little more interactive with that because I've just I don't have time for Facebook. I used to not have any time for Facebook. It's right. just been it's just one more thing to do, and it's just it's me and two employees, you know now, and uh, and we're busy, and I'm happy that we're busy, but I don't always get on Facebook. I'm gonna try to do a little uh -huh. bit more of that. So HuberBanjos.com will get you here. Uh, you can email me. You can call the number. Um, uh, we'll, you know, we'll always get back to you. It might not be right away, but mm -hmm. you'll, you can hear from me. And uh, and uh, yeah, I'm happy to talk to anybody about anything. Banjos, pre-wars, new ones, whatever. Cigars, cigars. Yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> we better not open that door. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thanks again, man. Thank you, Keith, for having me so much. My pleasure. Thank you everyone so much for joining me for this second part of the interview with Steve Huber of Huber Banjos. I know you all learned a ton from hearing these last two parts. I know I did. The tracks that you heard, there was only a couple of them. The first track of the episode was Floatin' the Buffalo by Jacob Grootman and Josh Rilko. And if the banjo playing sounds familiar on that, it's because it's me. And you can follow the link in the show notes to download that single and also their other single called Dobrowski. The other sound clip that you heard was Pull In Time by Steve Huber, the title track off of his excellent solo album. Thank you once again to the Patreon supporter of the show. That's Eric Rose. Go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a supporter yourself. Thanks again so much for listening and I'll see you next time. <laughs>